Hello there, you awakening wonders. Thanks for joining me for Stay Free with Russell Brand. Okay, listen, should we have a look at Let's have a look at this Dr. Drew clip while I work out what updoc means. Let's have a look at Dr. Drew saying, uh, speaking to a Pfizer exec about clotting. When I looked at the mRNA vaccine, I looked at the Pfizer one and the Moderna one, I was horrified. My contention is that there are multiple deliberate toxicities built into these materials, and I can, I can justify that. I ask your audience to think, how is it that their body plays nice with itself, doesn't attack itself unless you're unfortunate and have an autoimmune disease. But normally your immune system, like they're like a military. He's a v vice president of Pfizer, that guy. He's former. He's a, well, I can see why. Uh, but we're going to have to let you go, Michael. Why? Well, you know that thing where you admitted that there was, that you admitted that there's... Uh, Blood clotting agents and toxins in there. That's bad for business. It's actually bad for business. He's going for it, this guy. Look at Dr. True. He's fuming. Be personnel. They stay in there. Someone's saying in the chat that I only said 10,000 for the Tucker Christmas. Did I? Oh, we've got to do it then. But let's get to 10,000 anyway. We'll get it. We'll, uh, someone, can we call Tucker? Can we get him? Does anyone have his number? What are we going to do? We've promised a festive Tucker and we will deliver. We will deliver. Barracks that don't harm you. But when you're infected or you get a cancer, maybe they go to war. And you know the distinction, how it is that your body does that trick. It distinguishes self, all the things inside your body that are meant to be there. It doesn't attack anything foreign, anything non-self. It will attack. So, when... So, a dog in his house. That was weird. That's undermined him, that, isn't it? Like, my dog, sometimes he comes up here, he breathed too heavy, you know? He breathed, he breathed too heavy. And that dog... I like it. It's a perfectly good medicine. Then you take mRNA and get... No, I took that I took that vaccine. I'm feeling better than ever. One body to make a piece of a foreign organism. Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I think what Pfizer did is they planted something in his dog while he was still working there. Now, if ever this guy goes rogue, it's your job, Trixie, to ensure that he gets back online. I'll do it. I'm just happy to be on the firm. That's not my dog. <laughs> Yeah, you would say that. But when your body is instructed to make a piece of foreign, non-human protein, every cell that expresses that is now blaring a signal, I've been invaded. Your immune system goes to war and tries to kill it. Every single cell that this material goes into. These could never, ever be safe for a mass market use. If you just give it to mass populations, they will attack their own cells and kill them. There you go, that guy, he's never coming back to Pfizer. I don't think he's going to be invited to the reunion. Okay, listen, um, if you want to see that in full, we will post it on Locals. And Dr. Drew is live with us, Thursday the 9th of November. And I can confirm now, can I confirm that we will get a Tucker festive special? We're going to get it. Well done, even though we're actually only at 17,893, but we're doing very well on Locals as well. So we will get that. You asked for it, we will deliver it. We'll post the rest of the Dr. Drew clip on and we'll talk about that with Dr. Drew when he comes on the show. Dean SNJ says, the vaccine turned his son into a dog. Well, at this point, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Side effects include me turned into a dog. That's not true. That ain't bloody true. Okay. <laughs> Prove it. We're not giving those files over for 75 years. So listen, right, we've got a brilliant guest coming up, Edward Dowd. He's, um, his information on excessive deaths is absolutely astonishing. You're going to love it. Uh, and 
also, um, yeah, he's brilliant. And also, we're going to have a look now. At, like earlier, a couple about a week ago, Joe Rogan slammed big farmers, COVID vaccine rollout. So did Bill Maher. So people are from, a, you have to say, across the political spectrum, or are they both sort of, I don't know, free speech type guys now? What would you say? Anyway, the uh, booster shots are being rolled out for children uh, despite questions over the efficacy and even safety. Is it any wonder that you lot, the Americans, do not trust your institutions. And let, answer me this. Do you trust your institutions? Do you trust legacy media? Do you trust the government? Do you trust Big Pharma? Here, tell me after. Here's the news. No. Here's the effing news. Joe Rogan and Bill Maher condemn the Pfizer vaccine little children version rollout. So why is it happening anyway? Is it because it's profitable? Is it possible children are being fattened up by big food, then vaccinated by big pharma on a conveyor belt to the grave? It is possible, yeah. <laughs> Figures as diverse as Joe Rogan and Bill Maher are now discussing this. Of course, when I went on Bill Maher, I feel like he was still someone that was advocating to a degree for vaccine efficacy. Joe Rogan, of course, has already experienced his own deluge and attacks because of speaking out against Big Pharma. Let's have a look at this before we form our own opinion. Is it wise to vaccinate your children? Is there enough evidence to suggest that it's beneficial? Well, I guess if you're like an old person, you would be real tempted to get that and maybe it would mm -hmm. help you if you're really old and you have a weak immune system it might give you a boost but to give it to kids like to give it to eight-year-olds there's no reason for that they know there's no reason for that there's right. no data that shows there's a good reason for that and that was one of the first things we knew it didn't is that it didn't kill that's what's the people. scariest things they're they're willing to do it to kids that, mm. that's scary that's oh yeah scary well. because there's a massive amount of profit in it no one wants to think that they think like that but they do i mean my view just to be clear Vaccines are a tool in the medical kit, just like antibiotics. Right. And just like antibiotics, I wouldn't want to be told, everyone's taking them, so you have to, too. Right. Yeah, like one if size I, fits all. If I decide I need one for a certain pathogen and I'm at a place in my life where I think that playing the odds, which is what medicine always is, that would be the smart thing, okay. But forcing it and on and in children who never needed it for this, who yeah. the least likely, and they're so sick. The kids have never been sicker, and that's, right, never I start been my sicker. my series by asking these kids have never been more vaxxed. We're the most vaxxed country in the entire world. You know, we have these uh, high infant mortality rates when weighed against third world countries. And you're being told that this is because we're super healthy. You got kids seventy five vaccines. When I was a kid, it was. It was 12. That's progress. As time marches on, the vaccine number increases. Who knows how many vaccines you'll require in the dystopian future that you're being groomed and prepped for even now. It's not as if it's possible that natural immunity is at least as effective as vaccines. It's not as if anyone's conducting studies that demonstrate that. Let's look at Mai Makari's analysis of this situation so we can determine for ourselves whether or not there's an ongoing cover-up and an attempt to reach new markets as five as profits begin to decline. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention keep pushing hard for all healthy children to have four doses of the COVID vaccine despite the lack of clinical outcomes data to support the recommendation. At this point, it's becoming clear that the politicization of this issue is necessary. Well, of course I'm vaccinating my children. Elsewise, it would appear that I like Donald Trump. If public health officials get their way, every healthy 12-year-old girl in America will get 70 COVID vaccine doses in her average lifespan with a risk of heart 
damage, myocarditis, after each shot. So I suppose you have to, at this point, consider that the incentives might be economic rather than health-driven. Instead of following the science, US officials continue to propagate old myths that vaccines prevent transmission and that myocarditis is more common after COVID than after the vaccine. That's not true. Myocarditis is 4 to 28 times more common after the vaccine in a cohort of young males, a recent JAMA cardiology study found. In a University of Basel study, asymptomatic heart damage occurred in 2.8% of people after the COVID booster as measured by a troponin test. You may have missed these studies because we now know that big tech was censoring any vaccine-hesitant content, even medical research. It's unethical to expose children to the risk of vaccine-induced myocarditis when nearly all children have already had COVID. Because of the accumulation now of data, experientially, we know that natural immunity is effective. We know that children were, in particular, not especially at risk of serious consequences, even if they got COVID. And yet, somehow this agenda is still being pursued, as pointed out by the author of this article, to some degree because conversation has been censored and controlled. When you see the censorship debate raging and continuing, you have to consider stories like this. What is the agenda of the powerful? Is it to prevent you from being harmed by hate speech or to prevent you from having detailed analysis and a balanced perspective on how you could potentially avoid harm? Children have circulating antibodies that neutralize the virus, but they are antibodies the government does not recognize. That's convenient. It only recognizes profitable antibodies. The CDC director can't tell us if any healthy child has ever died of COVID. She refused to provide the data when asked in a congressional hearing. Why would you not just plainly answer that question and say, no, no healthy child has ever died of COVID? Because that's what I suspect the answer to that question is, because I imagine, based on everything we experienced in the last few years, that there was a general tendency to exaggerate the risks and even deaths of and from COVID. So when someone avoids a question, I don't think, oh, it's because they don't want to hurt our feelings because we'll be struck with horror and sorrow at the sheer number of healthy children that died from COVID. It's because they're trying to make it sound like there's a serious risk of healthy children dying to increase the market share for Pfizer. And indeed, if you accept sizable donations, if you personally invest in Pfizer, if you are lobbied by Pfizer, it's likely, isn't it, that when you're asked that question, you might think, oh no, the answer to this question is not helpful to the pharmaceutical industry. I'm just going to ignore the question. What if people answer it online? We'll censor that conversation. It's fortunate, isn't it, that independent media voices like Joe Rogan and now Bill Maher's moving into that space, talking to Candace Owens, who you would assume would have been an opponent and probably is in many, many cultural and social issues, are now having open conversations. No wonder the legacy media are terrified. The last thing they need and want are people from across the political spectrum, voices from throughout the culture, recognising, hey, wait a minute, we all have more in common with one another than we do with this set of interests that are trying to control our free speech and trying to proliferate ideas and even medicines In a German population study, no healthy children aged 5 to 17 died of COVID. All deaths were in kids with a comorbid condition. Of course, that's very sad. It's awful. It's tragic. It's also important information that in an awakening society we should have access to and should make decisions 
based upon. US public health officials are not only misinformation spreaders, they're international outliers. The World Health Organization in March came as close as it's ever come to saying healthy children should not get the COVID vaccine, deeming the shot a low priority for healthy young people. I suppose it's hard for the WHO to even be unbiased because look at the way that they are funded. Of course, they receive considerable sums from governments, but also from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, who also invest heavily in vaccine companies. So when it comes to simple declarations or proclamations about what might be good for your children, what might be good for the health of the world, there are competing factors. It's, I suppose, comparable to the discourse around military activity around the world. If apparently neutral voices are biased in favour of a certain type of expenditure and particular types of outcome, how can you trust the discourse? If pundits are not declared as having affiliations with the military-industrial complex or Big Pharma or funded in some way by Big Pharma or the military-industrial complex, the information you get is biased. That's why it's really dangerous to have people that you might not agree with, like Bill Maher or Candace Owens or Joe Rogan, speaking kind of freely to enormous audiences that now start to think, oh yeah, maybe I won't give my children that shot. Fortunately, there are huge numbers of children in America particularly that are obese because of the irresponsible practices of filling them up with corn syrup and crazy glucose and mad sugar and pricing healthy foods out of the reach of many ordinary people. Almost as if there's a convergence of interests that ensure that you're like a little larvae in a blob of glucose waiting for various medications to intervene in your inevitable bad health. The WHO is also worried that the absolutism by which the COVID vaccine is being pushed for healthy young people is damaging credibility and resulting in lower rates of regular child immunizations, which perhaps are not as dangerous or perhaps are beneficial. I don't know because I've not had access to the data and I'd like to try to respond where possible, particularly when it comes to the health of my children to data. That's why I think it's important that we educate ourselves on the subject of excess deaths, a subject I'll be talking about in more detail over on Stay Free. You should check that out. It's fascinating. A Vietnam War's worth of young people killed in just a couple of years. The Vietnam War lasted 12 years. Let's hope this practice doesn't go on for that long. Most Americans may be shocked to learn the Moderna COVID vaccine has been banned or restricted in parts of Europe for people under age 30. Denmark and Sweden have officially recommended against vaccinating healthy children for COVID. Other countries have also been cautious about recommending it given the myocarditis risk, but not America. Now I suppose you can see the degree to which Big Pharma is able to exert influence over policy. They can influence it a bit in Europe and quite a lot in America. In Europe, it was possible for Pfizer and Europe, it was possible for Pfizer and the head of the European Commission to do private texts making deals about rollouts of vaccines during the pandemic that were not declared at the time. In America, it seems that there's a bit of a lag. But this is the home of freedom. This is the most significant country on earth. Why is this happening? Tragically, I continue to hear from parents around the country of schools and universities, including my own, kicking healthy students out or blocking them from enrolling if they don't have a COVID. COVID booster. It's like there's a lag, a lag of logic and awakening. And now we have a kind of mental addiction or ideological affiliations with vaccines that are not so easy to put aside because it's unlikely that there's going to be the scale of global reckoning to match the scale of global propaganda. Remember the campaigns. Remember the shaming. Remember the incessant news broadcasts that were essentially propaganda. Remember the censorship. What would it take to have equivalency in the opposite direction? A 
proper addressing of the various areas where it's been proven that the information we were given, the information that was censored, was kind of in some topsy-turvy maelstrom of deception. It will be an inversion of power, some sort of almost Christian first, last, last, first, topsy-turvy revolution. And that's not going to happen unless you commit to it. Sure, myocarditis after the vaccine is usually mild, but that's not reassuring if you are the patient in the ICU. In a New England Journal of Medicine analysis, of 136 people hospitalized for vaccine-induced myocarditis, two were in a critical condition, and one 22-year-old died. The CDC, instead of making public its investigations into children dying immediately after the COVID vaccine, has been busy colluding with big tech to shut down scientific debate and censor true patient stories. That's the kind of sentence that I, after all this time, find difficult to say and difficult to believe. What? They're shutting down debate when children are dying? Why is that happening? Because, I'll tell you why, because it's too nefarious to contemplate, really. How does that happen just because of bureaucratic inertia or lack of communication or versions of an accident? It starts to seem evil. Specifically, it's been slapping the misinformation label on medical viewpoints when they differ from its own Ministry of Truth. Indeed, the biggest propagator of misinformation during the pandemic has been the US federal government. I think at this point, trusting the American government, trusting the health organizations and agencies that were supposed to be guiding us through what we were told was a unique uniquely horrific event where unique measures had to be taken place. There is no reason for trust because there's been no, I mean, on an interpersonal level, you would expect kind of an acknowledgement and an apology. We're so wrong about all of that. And I can sort of envisage a way out if that's what was happening, but that isn't what's happening. What's continuing to happen is a recommendation of a medicine that now we know a lot more about. And yet the authenticity and honesty is still lagging way behind. And all you can conclude from that is that there's an agenda. This is from the Telegraph in the United Kingdom talking about many of these issues including the censorship of discussion around them. People left injured or bereaved from vaccines are being forced to speak in code online about their symptoms for fear of censorship the Covid inquiry has heard. Baroness Hallett, the inquiry's chair was also told at a hearing on Wednesday that healthcare workers were afraid to speak out about side effects they'd had from the jab over fears they would be punished by their bosses. It comes as campaign groups representing hundreds of people who suffered illness or lost loved ones after being vaccinated will be allowed to give evidence to the public inquiry. Anne Morris, KC, representing UKCV family, Vaccine Injured Bereaved UK, and the Scottish Vaccine Injury Group told the inquiry, censorship is a very real issue for the vaccine injured and bereaved. I suppose what we're seeing now is the fruition of matters discussed and considered at the advent of the introduction of the vaccine. Hey, they've been given this indemnity and Pfizer aren't going to reveal these files to 75 years in the future. Well, now the people that have been injured and damaged are beginning to demand some form of compensation for their injuries. Their support groups have been shut down by social media platforms and their experiences censored by the mainstream media. They have to speak in code online for fear of having the only source of support taken away from them. My child died of tomato ketchup. Maybe I gave my child a bit too much tomato ketchup. And the government shouldn't have told us that that tomato ketchup was safe. I mean, when you think about it, they'd not even done any trials on that tomato ketchup. And they told us that it stopped transmission when they'd never even tested whether or not it stopped transmission. And do you know that the ketchup that they made in the lab is different from the one that they gave to the people? Wait a minute, these people aren't discussing ketchup, are they? What? Is ketchup bad for you? I eat a lot of that stuff. No, no, you're fine with ketchup. Phew. 
They face stigma and abuse for sharing their symptoms in the context of the COVID vaccine, even being branded as anti-vax for sharing very real and medically proven vaccine injuries. Everyone was branded anti-vax. That's what they did, wasn't it? We should shame people. They should be shamed. You're anti-American. If you come to a hospital complaining about, oh my, it's incredible. That was actually out of control propaganda. Note how you're invited to just sort of forget it and move on. But now that there are legal cases, I suppose it's going to come to the forefront of everybody's attention. The inquiry was told that those left genuinely injured or bereaved from vaccines are unable to express or record their experiences without being misunderstood, misrepresented or used for somebody else's agenda. That's, I suppose, what's happened, isn't it? Everything's become so politicised and so charged and so fractured. There is no central moral authority in government, perhaps even justice, and certainly not in media, where you can say, no, no, hold on. I trust these people. What is it they're saying? And how can there be any trust after the way those institutions behaved during that period? If it proves to be true that Fauci went round almost agency by agency, inviting them, encouraging them to repress, for example, the lab leak theory, becomes increasingly less likely that we can ever return to a period of trust. This should mark a watershed in the trajectory of centralization and authoritarianism. They should look back at this and go, we were in a lot of trouble, actually. People were really advocating for a kind of one world government scenario where individuals could be controlled and censored and have their bank accounts shut down. But then during the pandemic, people recognised, hang on a minute, you can't trust any of these corporations or governments or international organisations like the WHO. They appear to be dancing to the rhythm of some peculiar tune. But more likely what will happen is they'll use this to somehow advance censorship, surveillance and coerce people into peculiar compliance. A survey of UK CV family members reported that 73% have considered suicide with a member of the group having taken his own life last August. The inquiry also heard examples of NHS workers who had experienced significant adverse vaccine reactions but felt unable to speak about the issue in their workplace. Yeah, because it was propagandised, because people were dancing around in outfits. People were talking about it as if it was no big thing. This is our war. Get your vaccine done. This is what you can do for your country. Even now, it sort of remains controversial. Even now, on certain platforms, I'll have to say this cautiously because the information is being tightly controlled. Not for your safety, not for your well-being, not for your security, but because there is an agenda to advance the interests of the powerful and control dissent against those interests. We represent one nurse who wishes to remain anonymous. Very wise, Ms Morris added. She doesn't want her work colleagues to know about her vaccine reaction because she isn't sure of the response she will encounter. Two years ago, prior to her vaccine, she had a senior position working 12-hour night shifts. She's a single parent and her family relies on her income. Four days after her second COVID vaccine, the nurse experienced period bleeding for no apparent reason. And three days later, it was diagnosed with bilateral large volume pulmonary embolism, a type of blood clot in the lungs with a right heart strain. Ms. Morris added she's battled for two years and now she's managing one nine hour shift per week in a different role entirely. But that shift is still extremely challenging for her due to ongoing symptoms. Her life has been turned upside down. She's undergone significant trauma, yet cannot speak about the cause for fear of recrimination. Boo, anti-vaxxer, shame on you. Another example was given of a specialist theatre nurse who was diagnosed with vaccine-induced pulmonary fibrosis, a serious and lifelong lung disease which currently has no cure. She was told she would lose her job if she didn't take the vaccine, Ms Morris said. So despite her misgivings, she went ahead because she's a single mother of two children. Now those children are her carers. Hooray! Support key workers, support the NHS, draw a rainbow in your window. Take that vaccine! I think it might make me ill. Your children can look after you. I believe the children are the future. Well, 
well, they better be, because the future's here, and the future's appalling. The Telegraph previously revealed that a secretive government unit worked with social media companies in an attempt to curtail discussion of certain topics during the pandemic. No kidding! The counter-disinformation unit flagged discussions opposing vaccine passports and was also used to target those who questioned the mass vaccination of children. But that was for your safety, to protect you, of course. That's why they were so concerned with conversations around vaccine passports, which were going to be helpful because... But they didn't stop the spread. Oh, but it'd be helpful because... Oh, it doesn't... They didn't trial it for transmission. It's going to be helpful because there is no harm. Oh, no, there's the myocarditis. Oh, no. It looks like the conspiracy theorists were right. They don't have your interests at heart. They just want to control you and looking for ways to legitimise that control and authority. And if that involves, in the end, key workers being exploited, insulted and made sick and made poor and left unable to work and shamed and further insulted by the accusations that they're liars, well, that's a small price to pay for freedom. But that's just what I think. Let me know what you think in the chat. See you in a second. Let me know what you think in the chat and let me know why the legacy media don't cover this in the same way. Is it because they have the same set of interests as the establishment? Joining me now is a man who is willing to confront authority, who's willing to confront the accepted version of events. And this is one of the most extraordinary stories of our times. And I'm excited to say these words because a little while ago, it was forbidden, foreboding, impossible, prohibited to even use this kind of language. Today, we're talking about excess deaths. We are with the author of Cause Unknown, the epidemic of sudden deaths in 2021 and 2022. I'm being joined by Edward Dowd. Edward, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me on, Russell. Great to be here. Bobby Kennedy, thanks, mate. Bobby Kennedy, who wrote the foreword to your book, the uh, presidential candidate and friend of the show, and as far as I can tell, pull-ups expert, wrote the uh, foreword to your book, and he said that he uses one of your quotes again and again, and I too have caught that meme. It's as contagious, maybe even more contagious, than a certain little virus that made its way out of a Wuhan lab or wet market. You can never truly be sure. Uh, It's the quote about the number of young people that died in 20 between 21 and 22 could you just talk us through that fact edward please yeah so there was uh definitely a mix shift in uh 21 and 22 from 2020 in 2020 mostly old people died there were excess deaths recorded all over the world and there were mostly old folks uh who died and there, there can be discussions about how they died but mostly old. And then there was a mixed shift in 21 and 22 to mostly uh, young. And the thing that I saw early on in my journey was uh, the millennial deaths in 2020, between uh, 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 February of March of 2021 and February of 2022, 60,000 millennials in the U.S. died excessively. Uh, That's a Vietnam War. We had 58,000 soldiers die over 12 years. So we had a, a Vietnam War for the millennials in 2021, basically, which shouldn't have happened. And still to this day, no one can really explain why. I have my thoughts, and we can talk about that a little bit forward. Okay, I would like to hear that theory. There was a 40% increase in deaths among young people uh, age 18 to 64. Well, I'm still considered young. That's good. I'm glad to hear that statistic. Uh, Let's have a look. We've got a few stills taken from your book, Cause Unknown. Let's have a look at the first one. Um, What's going on with excess death rate for for children in the UK? Can you talk us through this still, please, Edward? Yeah, so this is research we've done since the book. And uh, 
So in the UK, uh, excess deaths uh, during COVID were going down because children were, were unaffected by the virus for the most part. And the, the greatest cause of death for children ages 1 through 14 is uh, uh, accidental. And because of the lockdowns and the uh, school closures, remote schooling, schooling and whatnot, uh, their deaths went down. Uh, but then they started to go back up in 21, and they reached a new height in 2023 of 20%, which is uh, a sixth standard deviation from norm. And uh, a standard deviation is basically a probability from, from, from normal. So that would be like the equivalent of a uh, seven-foot giant being born, or many of them, so to speak. It's the equivalent of many seven-foot giants being born. It's that, that that's yeah. sort of it's a, a statistical. Is that unlikely? That's very unlikely, and that that's the math. The five standard deviations. This was six. Five standard deviations is a seven-foot giant being born. Oh no. Either we're about to be living in a land of giants, which I'd kind of be into, or something's gone dreadfully awry in the last couple of years. Even when conveying this information, Edward, are there still limitations on, on, on what you're able to say? Uh, no, I mean, my thesis uh, that I put forward in the book, and it's just, again, it's my thesis, is it's the vaccination program. And, and, and the, the children in the UK is one of my smoking guns. I talk about it in the book. Uh, because they, their excess deaths were declining, were actually negative, going into November of 2021, because the vaccination program for that age group didn't roll out until, until, until November of 2021. And then excess deaths, curiously, started roll, uh, increasing, and now they're at uh, 20% in 2023 annualized numbers for this age group. So they were not dying during COVID, vaccines are introduced, and then their excess deaths start rising. Can you tell me then what do we have much data on what in particular is what aspect of the vaccination process or what in particular is causing it and why if the information is this stark and observable it's not being more broadly discussed? Well, you know, this is interesting. We we dropped a report a couple of months ago. It's not in my book. It's about the UK uh, PIP data. PIP data is a personal independence payment system. It's your, it's your disability system. And uh, we uh, analyzed excess claims over, uh, uh, you know, a five-year trend prior. And across the board, uh, disabilities in the UK have gone off the charts, all different body systems, hematological, cardiovascular cancers, you name it. And here are the numbers for all the body system and disability increases. Uh, it was about 1% rise in 2020, uh, about a uh, 6% rise in uh, uh, 2021, and about 74% rise in 2022. So things are going off the rails in the UK disability system. So either there's systemic fraud, and we've uncovered something the UK government uh, should be happy about, or there's some endogenous factor that's been introduced that's causing uh, the, the UK pension uh, disability system to go bankrupt at some point. At the beginning of the pandemic period, there was a lot of talk of conspiracies. There was definitely hyperbole on both sides of a very polarising conversation and a very polarising time. But it seems the more evidence we're granted access to, the more censorship is able to be surpassed or evaded. It seems more and more likely that the people that had the worst fears that are closer to the truth than, than the, what was for a long time the accepted and official narrative. 
Absolutely. And, you know, early on, I was um, very suspicious of COVID even, even before the vaccines were introduced in uh, April of uh, 2020. For me, I'm a, a Wall Street executive, uh, been on Wall Street my whole life, understand the monetary system. And I saw on Face the Nation on April 3rd of 2020, uh, a Federal Reserve president uh, speaking about how to reopen the economy. And when asked, how do we do this? He said, oh, we have new technologies and surveillance technologies. We can introduce uh, immunity badges. And so I said to myself, why is a Federal Reserve president talking about immunity badges, which uh, sounded like gold stars to me at the time. So I, I started talking about the fact I believe vaccine passports were going to be introduced on Twitter. People thought, called me a conspiracy theorist. And then you go to 21, we had vaccine passports and mandates. Your background is in observing market trends. And as you said, and normally when this name is mentioned, it's not in the most glowing and affectionate of terms. BlackRock and that you controlled sizable portfolios and that you're a successful investor. And that obviously by its nature requires a degree of insight and perspicacity. How come you change from operating in this world into making what, what has driven you and what has inspired you to move from working in the field of investment into working in what seems to me to be a pretty fraught and risky territory? Yeah, so Black, BlackRock uh, has transformed itself. I left in 2012, and I, at the time, I was managing uh, a $14 billion growth equity portfolio, which was actively managed, meaning, you know, humans picked the stocks. BlackRock transformed itself into a passive investment ETF giant, and it's transformed itself, uh, uh, you know, in, in, the, in the 10 years, 11 years since I've been gone. All my former colleagues that I work with, not a person I know is still there. So it was a different firm when I was there. And my job was to make money for my clients and identify trends and trend changes before everybody else. So that on Wall Street, if you're a human trying to beat the market, you want to be early and right. And so I just applied that skill set to analyzing trends and, and statistical analysis to what's going on here with excess deaths, disabilities, and injuries. And early on, uh, I started seeing anomalies. And, and, and for me, knowing statistics, uh, when the vaccine was introduced in early 2021, I started hearing anecdotes of uh, injuries and the uncle from so-and-so on the mainland, I live on Maui, died here and there. And there were, I, I didn't hear any of these stories in 2020. So I knew that if a vaccine is safe, uh, you shouldn't be hearing anecdotally any of these stories. So that, that got me on the journey of investigation. And I figured at some point this would show up in insurance company results and funeral home results, and boy, did they, did they ever in 21 and 22. It was pretty incredible how that information was managed and controlled. And I'll refrain from saying that you were clearly holding BlackRock back because they've flourished since you left. I think you were a real fly in the ointment at what was soon to become an investment giant. They've gone from strength to strength. One prediction you could have made is when I leave BlackRock, start investing with BlackRock. Um, but one of the things that most of us um, sort of conversationally were aware of and were too afraid to discuss was the death of healthy young athletes it seemed like one of those things that that was i know that when this was discussed on social media people were like this is a conspiracy theory are oh, you whack jobs you lunatics you aluminium hat wearing nuts and like uh, here is um 
you know, here's just a few headlines from around the world. Can you, when you see something like this, it seems like, uh, like either like anecdotal evidence or like we're deliberately cr- try creating a narrative. But I suppose if you're creating a narrative based on evidence, it's a narrative that people should hear. Can you talk us through the death of athletes and what in particular is significant about it? Yeah, so early on in 21, uh, I, I was aware of on Twitter uh, the, the, uh, the soccer athletes in, in, in Europe dropping dead. And soccer is, is an interesting sport. It's most cardiovascular intense sport, w- way more than uh, U.S. football or basketball in the U.S. So that was an early warning sign for me. And yes, uh, you know, anecdotal, people say all the time, these are anecdotal. And you can say that, but if you're also just, you know, awake and aware, this is occurring way more often than it did in the past. Did did, did these deaths occur before 21? Sure, they did. And there's an actual study that I cite in my book called the Lusane study from Switzerland that was done in 2006 to try to put some numbers on this. And it was a 38-year study. They found 1,101 sudden athletic deaths, which occurred on the field or on the way to the hospital. And that averages to about 29 a year. Okay, so yes, did it occur? It sure did, but it was very rare, and it wasn't really something that was in, in the conscious, consciousness of the, of the public. Roll forward to 21, 22, 23, we'd be lucky to have a month with just 29 sudden athletic deaths. We've had a month, I think, in December of uh, 22 with, with over 100. And in my book, I don't, I don't have all the sudden athletic deaths. And again, the cause is unknown. I, I, you know, I'm not the doctor. I, I don't have the autopsy report, but in the... In the uh, at the time of the deaths in my book, the cause was unknown, and, and, and we have hundreds and hundreds of examples of these, and we, we don't even catch them all. And these are just public news stories that uh, we, we found by uh, investigating the web. And there you go. So there is math around it. Then when you get into the statistical age groups from the publicly available data, that's, that's where we marry anecdotal with uh, hard, met, what I call metadata. And so this is not, this is not something that you know, we're making up. It's, it's occurring and it's, it's real. This is a coffee table book for conspiracy theorists. And as such, you include QR codes. Every story in there has a QR code that you can follow to make sure that you, Edward Dowd, and all of us that feel that the last three years was revelatory and demonstrated a convergence between state interest, legacy media interest, and big pharma interest, not to mention perhaps, potentially, and this is of course speculative, a globalist agenda to legitimise centralised authoritarianism introduce schemes and ideas like vaccine passports to normalise lockdowns and to practice mass control. Many people have said these things are possibilities and there's probably a QR code somewhere in Edward's book that can take you right the way to some reptilian overlords that are exercising this considerable power. What I like about the book is your uh, journalistic integrity and I suppose it makes it all the more clear that there was the, the, that there was a requirement for the shaming and censoring of sceptical people so that such a plainly untrue narrative could be pushed on such a scale. Given that your background is in the, that most observable and um, measurable of fields, finance, do you feel that what we've just experienced is a kind of off-the-scale global historic event, Edward? Yeah, we're going to be talking about this not for the next 10 years, for the next 100 years. The damage that's been done, in my humble opinion, is just, uh, it's, it's, it's unmitigated in the history of the world. And 
This has been the biggest gaslighting operation I've ever seen. Uh, as an investor, I call this the greatest asymmetric investment opportunity of a lifetime, meaning on Wall Street, you try to uh, uh, take advantage of information that you have, not inside information, but through your own insights that you glean and uh, knowing that most of the public doesn't know it yet. That's how you make money. Unfortunately, this has been uh, such a good psyop and, and, and gaslighting job. It's still uh, an asymmetric uh, information situation where still a lot of people don't know what's going on. The good news is word is getting out. Booster uptake is down and people are starting to spread it despite the uh, media uh, clampdown on this issue and the political clampdown and the regulatory clampdown. And, and to your point about, um, you know, conspiracy theories, we, you don't even need, I wasn't in the room and in the book, I don't get into the who and the why, I just report it is. But it's, it's, it's easy to just blame greed, uh, old, good old greed, power and corruption as, as, as the, uh, the candidates here, because once the momentum of the free money from the central banks and the government's uh, started rolling. There were three uh, vectors that, that 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 profited from this. Obviously, pharma. Uh, then you had media that got all the money from the pharma ad spend, and then also they got government grants to push the vaccine, as we found out later. And then you have the tech companies who were looking their chops at the new surveillance technologies they could have implemented. So you had three vectors that were going to profit from this, and so they were all aligned. It, maybe we're not in a room drinking scotch, laughing, smoking cigars, but money, 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 uh, certainly and power was behind this. And of course, the politicians get all their lobbying dollars from these giant corporations. So four vectors of interest all aligned and they were pushing. That's, I like that, using these four vectors to understand how this event unfolded. And I alluded to the somewhat more conspiratorial, but I would say also logical idea that it legitimizes authoritarianism at a time where the trend is towards decentralization. I don't mean the ideological trend. I mean the potential for decentralization that is afforded by instantaneous communication and the potential for individual's freedom and the sacred nature of individual freedom that I suppose within libertarianism or anarchism are still sort of prized and discussed. The idea that you as an individual have certain rights and that, that if you are able to legitimise authority, those rights can be surpassed, undermined, ended. And I suppose that's why it was so important that the initial idea was a very moral one. Life is sacred. We better lock everyone indoors. And if you don't take this medicine, then you don't care about other people. Well, it turns out that it was one lie after another. And the only way that this conversation won't be happening in 100 years, Edward, is because the conversation will still be being censored with all of the increase in censorship legislation all around the world targeted in particular particular, I would say, around issues like this that have the potential to bring people together on an unprecedented scale and initiate the kind of global awakening that's required at this time of universal dissent. Now, one of the vectors that you described that benefited incredibly from this omni-crisis, from this global scam, was uh, Pfizer. And I think we've got another one of these steals we don't normally have, Edward. You're better prepared and better equipped than most of our guests that just wander in here with an opinion or two or a conspiracy and just shout their mouths off. Not you, though, Edward. It's stills. Now, these are some uh, some reports on Pfizer. Um, can you talk us through what, uh, the, what this is about, really? And you can see there's QR codes if people at home want to check them out. Let's talk about Pfizer. Let's, let's go through the math. Um, 
Pfizer, uh, in its different uh, incorporations, is a 100-year-old company for the most part. And it took them 100 years to get to uh, $40 billion in revenue in uh, 2020. $40 billion. Uh, roll forward uh, to 2021-22. In one year, they made $90 billion. So it took 100 years to get to $40, and then they made another $50 billion on top of that. These are big numbers. And the plan... The plan, if you if you go back to 21, the dark days of 21, there was talk of quarterly boosters mandated with vaccine passports ad infinitum just to go to a store or go to uh, um, a restaurant or participate in college or school or your job. And these are, this is the plan. And I did the math. Had they been successful in implementing this plan under the color of law, global law, mind you, um, They would have uh, made, uh, I assumed, I did some back of the envelope math, I assumed that they got half, half of the global uh, share of uh, mRNA vaccines. Five uh, billion people were vaccinated. Uh, I, I came up with a uh, per dose and then the quarterly run rate. And it was about a $320 billion annual run rate if they were successful in pulling off quarterly boosters ad infinitum. So... That is uh, bigger than the size of Apple's revenues. That they would be the biggest, uh, one of the biggest uh, revenue-producing uh, companies on, on the globe. No wonder when Joe Rogan had the audacity to say he took horse paste to evade the condition, he was attacked in what seemed to be from the outside a globally coordinated legacy media takedown. Indeed, it seems possible, plausible, likely even, that any dissenting voices that are willing to interrupt the flow of this tidal wave of revenue and unprecedented state power would be a target because I suppose without independent media, without online conversation, because the legacy media, they all fell in line, you wouldn't be able to prevent that kind of legislation passing. We'd be reliant on the largesse and honesty of big pharma and the state. And that doesn't seem to be a commodity that's in particular high supply. Absolutely. And look, Pfizer was printing so much money in the form of the COVID profits They were doling out money to politicians, uh, advertising on both uh, technology platforms, social media platforms, and the media. And let's not forget, uh, our governments gave media companies, uh, at least in the U.S., we uncovered a billion dollars through a FOIA request was given to media companies to promote the vaccine and uh, put the kibosh on any counter-narrative to the vaccine. We've got a, excuse me, we've got a quote here from Marty Makari, who we quote a lot on this show and i guess uh, it is marty mccary someone you cite in your in your book edward yes it says here that the cdc director last year said if we vaccinate a million children there might be 30 or 40 cases of mild myocarditis and they said if you get myocard and they said if you get myocarditis from covid that's worse or it happens at a higher rate but that's not true the studies have come out europe reacted by banning the moderna vaccine altogether in young people in many parts of europe and everybody under 30 we're now learning that there's significant heart damage 31% of people having physical activity restrictions 60 3% of children after myocarditis had evidence of heart swelling months down the road on MRI. So we're playing with fire. Would you, uh, to give us some thoughts on that, Dr. Marty Makari quote, Edward. Well, let's, let's go forward to a report that we just put out recently on cardiovascular deaths in the UK, ages 15 through 44. 
basically, it was, uh, you know, de minimis uh, in uh, 2020. Uh, it was about 13%, rose to, uh, I believe, 30% in 21 and 44% in uh, 2022, which is a 10 and a half standard deviation. That's the equivalent of a Thanos uh, giant uh, being born uh, eight foot tall. And uh, so this mild myocarditis uh, obviously is now uh, working its way into the population in forms of deaths and disabilities. Uh, we did a st in that study, we look at the potential market. And again, I hate to say the word market, but the market size for potential cardiovascular deaths, and they call it mild my myocarditis. Uh, we, we, from this population, we, we surmise there could be 630,000 individuals that could potentially develop this. Let's say it's, let's give them the, the benefit of the doubt, and it's 90% mild and only 10% develop at 63,000. This is a disaster. It's not, there's nothing mild about myocarditis. That, that, that was a psyop trick. You talk to real doctors, they'll tell you there's nothing mild about it. Why are you so obsessed with giants? Uh, <laughs> I don't know, but because, because these events are so rare, I want, I want people to understand when, when I throw out a 10 standard deviation uh, event, that's a Thanos event. And we know Thanos tried to kill half the world. So, uh, you know. You're using yeah. uh, sort of uh, nerd mythology images because I don't understand what 10 standard deviations means. But I know what Thanos means. He stole that jewelry glove, the jewel glove, and he caused all sorts of trouble with that. It was very unkind to Spider-Man. And I think Robert Downey Jr., who had a bad heart anyway, he's going to be in a lot of trouble, I think. Because remember, he got that thing in his heart, right? So it's sort of starting to make sense, I would say, Edward. Absolutely. And I think poor Iron Man would be at risk of uh, a sudden death if he took the vaccine, in my humble opinion. Yes, I think Iron Man wouldn't make it through the afternoon, would he? After all of the trouble he's gone to making that suit, it's one little jab from Pfizer and he's crashing out of the sky, throwing out witty quips as he goes to Pippa Pegpot or Pepper Pot, as she's, I can't remember the name of his girlfriend. It was an unlikely name. Anyway, elsewhere, you've been uh, less humorous when describing the uh, nature and outcomes of the COVID pandemic, mate. Uh, federal debt grew at a faster rate since the pandemic than the past 10 years before it. And here in this post on X, you describe COVID as a war, Edward. It says, uh, this is your post. I'm quoting back to you. It's the sort of thing I do on my show. I tell people things that they're experts in. And then I expect some sort of pat on the back for it. Um, COVID was a war. From 2009 to 2019, federal debt grew by 11.25 trillion at an average rate of about 1.1 trillion per year. From 2020 Q2 to 2023, federal debt grew by 8.5 trillion at a rate of 2.4 trillion per year. War is inflationary. Inflate or die is the game. Can you explain that to me using stuff out of the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Uh, I don't know if I can do that, but what I what I can say is this: um, since uh, the the uh, great financial crisis of two thousand eight nine, the federal debt has grown exponentially, and we're all aware of that. And we're putting out a, a we do economic reports as well at Finance Technologies. That's my firm, and a lot of our research can be found there at financetechnologies.com with a ph. We're gonna we're gonna put out a report. The tweet was a preview of that report. And it's called the, the Great Federal Centralization. You talked about centralization. And we're definitely at the point where we need to go back to local and decentralization. Yeah. And what happened, what happened during this growth, which then accelerated during COVID, 
um, was the federal government of the U.S. took power, especially from the states. Back in 1973, total public debt, uh, uh, the government, U.S. federal debt was 60% of all public debt and the states were 33%. Fast forward to today, 90% of the public debt in the U.S. is the federal government, 10% is the states. The states are being subsidized by the balance sheet. Their budgets are being uh, subsidized to the tune of 40% by the federal government. What does that give the federal government? Power over the states, power over local politics. So oh. this trend needs to be reversed. Oh. And what happened with COVID uh, was an acceleration of spending. And we've done, we're now growing uh, the, the, the deficit at 2.4 on an annualized rate, uh, extra spending and um, versus the 1.1 that was occurring, which was still excessive. So it, it kind of went off the rails after the great financial crisis and accelerated during COVID. And, you know, war is one of the ways you take uh, the banking system out of uh, deflation. And uh, if you look at all the great uh, six economic cycles we've had since 1800s, there's always a war that gets us out of deflation. World War II took us out of the Great Depression. Vietnam War uh, was the same. War, war, war. And COVID was a war. The spending we did was like a war. And, and what, what's happened since that spending? Inflation. And here we are. Oh, wow, you're really clever. No wonder you have to explain everything using giants. Everyone else is an idiot compared to you. Hey, uh, Edward, do you uh, feel that there's some kind of global resistance organising against what appears to be an existential threat against everyone that would require the immediate unification of all the people of the world, not to create some sort of terrifying centralised new order, but a totally decentralised but united front against this plain attempt to enslave us all? And where do you see this resistance? Is it, you know, with Bobby Kennedy, presidential candidate and a writer of Forward, or Gavin De Becker there, who I know is a keen member of the resistance? Do you see, uh, do you see much cause for optimism, mate? Seeing how you're so good at investing, although I do have to once again mention that BlackRock are doing a lot better without you. Yeah, I agree um, on that point. BlackRock has done just fine without me. Um, I, I, I will say this: in my journey. When everyone on Maui ran off the cliff and ran out to get the jab, uh, those of us who were left standing who refused to get it, and it was a tough time here on Maui, um, you know, I realized and looked to my left and to my right, you know, I'm a Wall Street guy. There was a hippie to my left, a local Hawaiian to my right, black, white, Latino, uh, you know, vegan, just different types of people, gay. And, and, and what I realized was we all had freedom on our minds. And it was, and I realized these labels that we give each other are nonsense. And it was called, I, I labeled it team humanity. And I think that's what's rising up. People who are, are tired of the centralized control, the top down, uh, you know, maniacal psychopathic power grabs. And we are definitely uh, at a global awakening. The system that uh, resulted in this jab, the, the corruption and evilness that's been going on for the last 50 years manifested into a jab into everybody. And that's where we are. And uh, the system's been corrupt for a long, long time. And I believe we have a chance. And you, like you said, the resistance is all over. It's not just uh, here in the US, it's, it, it's an, a global awakening. Bobby Kennedy, I'm proud to say I'm the co-treasurer on his campaign, so I'm involved. And uh, yourself and other voices out there are, are waking people up to the truth. And we're not we're not radical uh, revolutionaries. We're just truth tellers. And the truth is the system is uh, at, at a nexus point of failure. The banking system 
has had a nice run. It's a it's a uh, you know fractional reserve banking system that uh, creates money out of nowhere. It's magic, and uh, it's going to collapse. And we're at the end of that, and that's why we see what we see. And I blame everything you see globally on central bankers and politicians. Now, can I prove that? No, but uh, they seem to they seem to be able to print magic uh, money out of nowhere, and th- they just don't want you to know they can do that, and they want to distract all of us with uh, wars, pandemics and uh division you're really clever i'm glad i'm on the same side as you hey are you uh were you ever tempted to go oh maybe i'll invest a few thousand dollars here or there in some of these companies i'm predicting that pfizer's going this way oh but then that way when the myocarditis starts kicking in do would you ever were you ever tempted to invest in it so I, when I first came on the scene, I made a, a, a point that I was not going to personally profit from Pfizer's demise, which it, it, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to say Pfizer's at a new 52-week low. So is Moderna. The truth is coming out. <clears throat> People are starting to figure this out. Uh, uh, so I made a point of not uh, profiting from it because I was going to try to create news and I didn't want anybody to say I, I had a, a financial gain in, in this. But my, my team at Finance Technologies and I, are going to raise capital for a global macroeconomic hedge fund, which will utilize a lot of this research to bet on uh, capital markets across the globe. And that's our next project is raising a fund. All right. Well, I'm going to invest in that for sure. All right, mate. Um, well, let's once again mention Cause Unknown, a coffee table book for conspiracy theorists who want to be proven right and have the QR shows, the QR codes, excuse me, to show they're working out. A fantastic book. And it's just, it seems, the tip of the iceberg or perhaps the tip of the syringe underneath the water, it seems, is a pretty nefarious substance that has spike protein in it that doesn't remain localized, evidently, on the basis of the way things are going. Edward, thanks so much for joining us. We'll post a link to your great book in the description. We'll uh, send it, like, the first person who can answer this question uh, in the chat will get sent this one for free. Edward, can you think of a question related to your book for someone to answer in the chat to get sent this copy of your book? Um, how many years did Pfizer and the FDA want to hide uh, the data from us. I know that one. I know that one. But you guys can answer in the chat and we'll send you a copy of Cause Unknown. Fantastic book. Fantastic book there. Uh, thanks for joining us, Edward. And I hope we get to speak again soon. Thank you so much, Russell. Great to be here. Cheers, man. That was brilliant. On the show tomorrow, we've got Katie Halper, who's mates with Matt Taibbi and Aaron Matte, and they do that podcast together, Useful Idiots, which is brilliant. We've also got some fantastic guests, part of the resistance movement that Edward described. Bobby Kennedy is coming on. RFK, please God, the next president of the United States. Vandana Shiva, Dr. Peter McCullough. So we're going to get a better perspective on our lives together. We're going to organise this movement. Please God, and we are going to awaken together. If you want to support our movement, if you want to get involved in real change, click the red button, become a member of our community. You get early access to some interviews. I do meditation sometimes. We read stuff together, but most importantly, we organise. We're making a movement here. This is beyond independent media. There's no time for messing about no more. You can't have one foot in each camp. We are marching merrily forwards towards a glorious new revolution with Uncle Tony, a new subscriber, Lala Ketchup, Humpty Dumpty and Jedi Fish. And with people like that on our side, they don't stand a chance, do they, at Vanguard, Black Rock and Raytheon? Not with Lala Ketchup and Humpty Dumpty at the helm. Join us tomorrow, not for more of the same, but for more of the different. Until then, if you can, stay free. 